0: Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Mr. Polgreen, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's the 60th anniversary of JFK, so I was trying to do a bunch of things special leading up to it in one area that I think a lot of people don't really know about, and I'm still a little bit clueless on, is the Indonesia connection uh, when it comes to JFK, Alan Dulles, and Dag Hammarskjold. And you've written excellent work on that. We've talked about it um, a couple times in the past, Uh, but it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Good to be here. Good to see you again. Now, I wanted to talk about uh, your thoughts on Kennedy. I mean, it's the 60th anniversary, and it will be 62 years with Dag Hammershaw, because he was killed in September 1961, and notice how I said killed, just like uh, Truman stated. Um, I think it was Truman where he stated, notice how I said they killed him. Mm -hmm. Amazing that, wasn't
1: it? And they didn't really follow up. He just stopped and left it at that and refused, I think. Because he realised it was uh, dangerous, dangerous waters. But he must have known more, and uh, I think he was in close uh, contact with JFK at the time. and uh, JFK, of course, was very close with hammermmerold. he'd He'd met Hammerold secretly in the Astoria Hotel in April, 60, 61, and they discussed what to do. Uh, in response to the massive arms deal that Moscow had made with Jakarta because it, it changed the whole uh, sovereignty dispute between the Netherlands and Indonesia. The M- Moscow arms, I think it was they said 400 million, which was, I think, billions in today's money, mainly ships and planes, but it, it uh, catapulted the sovereignty dispute into a cold war crisis and uh that's really why kennedy had to act to uh to stop it from getting worse it was they talked about even nuclear war the same as the same sort of threat that was occurring on the doorstep in america with cuba which was also set up by dallas uh was occurring in indonesia at the same time but very few people in, in america at least heard about indonesia it was all cuba but uh Similarly, Indonesia was a massive Cold War threat involving Moscow and Indonesia versus the Dutch and the NATO ally, USA. So it was the Cold War crisis all over again, but around the other side of the world. <laughs> I suppose that's why you didn't hear But even today, I think not many people in the in, in USA hear about Indonesia. But it's, it's a huge country. It's... And it's, it should be more in the news, I think, because it's, it's you know, 300 million, the fourth largest country, and in those days, in the 60s, Kennedy realized its significance because it was by far the largest in Southeast Asia. The actual width of Indonesia is like one-seventh of the circumference of the earth. That's how big it is. Far wi- it's wider than America, far wider than America, but of course it's just a string of islands. 17,000 islands. But I think in terms of, in the perspective of Dalis, it was important because it was, used to be the world's richest colony. And people forget about that. George Cahin from Cornell described it as as rich or richer than the British uh, colony, the Raj in India. So that gives you an idea of what was motivating Dalis you know, to get into Indonesia at the time? It's it's very very rich minerals, everything. Well, everything, everything. Phenomenon. It's phenomenally rich, and it's it's uh, even now today it's uh, got huge potential in uh, in many areas. Eh? But the size of the country, it's the world's largest Muslim country, and it's on Australia's doorstep, which not enough people here seem to be aware of it. Eh? yes
0: yet do you think that kennedy was aware of the gold that was over there or why do you think he was so involved with trying to make sure that sir or sukano um sukano yeah Mm. i mean what what, why do you think he was so interested Do you think it was a way to deflect from the vietnam war a little bit try and make sure that they weren't sending troops over there
1: well he was he was trying to defuse the cold war but put it that way he wasn't trying to add to it but indonesia was just so vitally important It's It had, at the time, it had the world's third largest or outside the Sino-Soviet bloc, it was the largest communist party in the world. But when we say that, we think, ah, it's very organised. But actually, 95% of the people in the PKI, the Indonesian Communist Party, were very, very poor rice farmers, you know. And Sukarno and Kennedy used to talk about the pki the communists in indonesia and sakana said ah don't worry about them you know they're they're radical nationalists they're not really communists at all (laughs) which is an interesting way of looking at it and i read a report from the the british desk in london the fellow in charge there whose name i forget momentarily uh he also said the same thing it's not you can't really call the indonesian pki a communist party was; it had some communists in it, but basically they were. It wasn't the same as the European communists. So, in that respect, uh, Dulles was uh, boosting up the Cold War tension by saying it's a huge communist party was with, with terrible threats offered to everybody. But in reality, most of the people in the communist party just wanted a plot of land to grow some rice for their family. You know, <laughs> that's about it. But on the other hand, critical of that viewpoint, I could say the lead, some of the leaders were communists, they were very bright. I remember interviewing Nishijima, the Japanese fellow who declared independence for Indonesia. He said, amongst the youth of the time in 1945, one of the most, well, one of the more uh, intelligent, one of the brightest fellows was Aidit, who was, he led, he came to be the, the head of the Indonesian Communist Party. He was one of the brightest youngsters at the time Uh, i mean Sukarno then wasn't considered a youngster he was (laughs) middle-aged so these were the boys in their 20s they call them the pamuda the the youth or the 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 younger ones so um yeah the the threat of communism in indonesia really was what prompted kennedy Uh, it wasn't as you said he did not know or was not aware of the gold neither was hammersholt But neither was Sukarno. The people who were aware of the gold were were a few in the Dutch elite and those persons in charge of the company that formed the company that found the gold, that's Alan Dulles. So you had the Dutch elite competing with Dulles and, and Rockefeller group that formed the company. They were the ones who were after the gold at the same time i call that like the covert dispute over sovereignty whereas the the overt dispute was simply between the netherlands and indonesia so yes it's like a new way of interpreting history saying there were there were two struggles occurring at the same time but we only heard about one struggle you know the 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 uh, sovereignty dispute between the dutch and the indonesians but the other dispute it, it sort of sank into the shadows and we never really heard anything. And the gold disappeared from public. Well, it was never really in the publicity, never got much publicity because it was kept out of the sovereignty dispute because it would only fuel Indonesia's uh, quest to kick out the Dutch. So it's important what you said about Kennedy not knowing about the gold. So what was he interested in? Well, He needed Indonesia on side in the Cold War, basically. It was by far the biggest country in Southeast Asia. And for all that we talk about, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, whatever, they're they're one quarter the size of Indonesia. That's that's, that's how big Indonesia is, and it's still that big today. So he had to get Indonesia on side. Kennedy had to get Indonesia on side really before making any serious moves in laos or, or vietnam he was re, planning to withdraw from vietnam but that would all be useless unless he got indonesia on side first so he was really putting that as a priority and that's why when uh, having uh, interrupt, or intervened in in the in the sovereignty dispute separated the two separating Indonesia and the Netherlands he he had to so that they would not end up in conflict he offered West New Guinea to Sukarno and then but that was only half of what uh, President Kennedy was up to he then wanted to get Indonesia on side and and by that means uh, all the criticism that he he uh, endured for intervening against a NATO ally the Dutch he would then recoup by getting indonesia on side in 1963 he was hoping to do that stopping
0: communism from infecting all the other places in their mind
1: yes he his plans for getting sukarno on side were interrupted because a conflict started between indonesia and malaysia and that's that was the purpose in his in his trip to planned trip to jakarta that's what a, dean Rusk came in because when I was talking to him, writing by letter, that is, in those days, rather than email, Dean Rusk wrote a letter saying Kennedy's trip to Jakarta was on condition that Sukarno Sukarno and Kennedy together stopped Malaysian confrontation, brought relations back to normal, and then America could resume its aid to Indonesia to basically Stop the input of the the communist party was growing because it was poverty too much poverty so kennedy wanted to increase the standards of living in indonesia and and thereby bring it on the side of the west i think because it was so impoverished all these landless farmers were supporting the communist party of course land reform was basically their their vote catcher Uh, not much land reform ever really occurred i should say but um by 1965, of course, when, when they were wiped out. But that's, yeah, that's sort of uh, another matter, isn't it? It's getting a bit to Indonesian history. So Kennedy didn't know about the gold. Hammersholt, Sukarno didn't know about the gold either. So it's an interesting point. So the real dispute over the gold really was between a few in the Dutch elite and a few in the Rockefeller elite we could say.
0: When did did Alan Dulles get involved with their gold over there? Like, When did he get the intelligence
1: for knowing that there was... He was the person who formed the company under Rockefeller's, under the auspices of Rockefeller, I suppose, Rockefeller Oil, back in 1935. So, yeah. And Standard Oil had people working together with Dutch before the war in New Guinea. That's, he knew about the gold there.
0: When did that narrative come out? Like, did Dean Rusk know about Alan Dulles's gold finances in Indonesia or any of those plans?
1: I think. Uh, I think. Well, Dean Rusk was one of the top intelligence fellows in the army in the in World War II, and uh, that's originally why I asked him: Was he aware that in 1942, uh, somebody in Washington—I think it was again Alan Dulles. I think it was the OSS. He was second. Alan dullies was second in charge of the OSS in New York in the Rockefeller Center. Somebody there, uh, although I haven't got the documentation, but I think it looks quite likely. Somebody authorized or permitted or approved what they call a repatriation exchange between Japanese who'd been sent over to Australia nineteen 19- after Pearl Harbor. They sent over two thousand, and the uh, Allied command allied diplomats and persons like that who were arrested when the Japanese swept down they were going to have an exchange of uh, diplomats and but persons who were captured at least not not prisoners of war but uh, in the diplomatic status I think British Americans and and some Australians I think there are only 23 was mostly British and American but this was organized from uh, USA. I've seen the signature of of uh, uh, who was that General Douglas MacArthur, basically one of his one of his letters saying this is all being done from back home. You know, it wasn't done in Canberra, although it took place in Australia. It was authorized from USA. It was actually a war crime, and because so many of the Japanese who were sent back were known to be spies, and the Dutch had brought out a report. The white paper they call it, um, with photographs even and details on a lot of these Japanese. But they were included in the repatriation back to Java. I think about seven or eight hundred of them went back from a, a, a camp in uh, South Australia, and in return the Allies got diplomats from you know people captured in Japan and Southeast Asia, whatever they were. They were included in the repatriation, but because the japanese some of the japanese sent back were high level nishijima was one of them you see that's how i contacted him and it's interesting when i went along to interview nishijima in tokyo in 1983 i was just walking up to his house and he poked his head out the kitchen window and said have you spoken with dean rusk yet <laughs> he knew dean rusk was involved you see because i'd asked dean rusk what do you know about this repatriation you know Who was behind it and he said it wasn't me it wasn't me look in the state department you know (laughs) so he knew about it and he knew it was like a war crime but he didn't want anything to do with it you know and in response when general douglas macarthur found out what had happened he banned oss from all under his command in southeast asian command oss out he said you know and there still was some OSS working under him. They, I'm not sure they managed to escape his wrath. But, uh, yeah, MacArthur didn't like the OSS at all. They were, they were running their own war. You know? Here they were sending back Japanese thinking, even though the war is occurring, they're thinking about what's going to happen after the war. You know? They're thinking about these Japanese will help undermine Dutch recolonization. so that would be good for Standard Oil. And, of course, it worked. It worked quite well. Nishijima himself was the person who organised the Declaration of Independence. He should have been in a camp in South Australia for the entire war, but he wasn't. He was sent back. And that's what he did. He and his friend Yoshizumi. Yoshizumi was uh, similarly with uh, Nishijima in naval intelligence. And Nishijima told me that, his friend, Yoshizumi, was probably involved in the death in Surabaya of, in 1945, uh, November 1945. A top British general, British were given the task of uh, you know taking over Indonesia after the war under Mountbatten And this top general called Malin, Malin, Malabi, who'd spent all his time in India behind a desk. He didn't know much about anything, really. He was a desk general. He wanted a bit of action so he demoted got a demotion down to brigadier general which allowed him to go into the field he should have stayed in the office and when he got into the field he made a big mess of it and big many people were killed in surabaya and he was one of them and nishijima suggested that yoshizumi may have been responsible for that killing because it really shook up the british and they they left very quickly and brought the dutch back from indonesia and that's when the war of independence started 1946 to 1949
0: now with kennedy's involvement with sukarno what about alan like how does that mess with alan dulles's plans or anything that's going on i mean obviously that they probably would have preferred someone that was more in line with their political ideology just uh not just the fall of communism i'm specifically talking about with alan dulles They would just want someone changed in their position that agreed with letting them still do their activities and ravage the land of all its gold and all these types of things. But how big of an issue was Sukarno to Alan Dulles' plan and Kennedy's involvement in that as well, too?
1: Well, we talk about the gold, but that was just one issue in New Guinea. And Dulles' Dulles strategy really was through Sukarno to kick out the Dutch from New Guinea to bring New Guinea as part of Indonesia to get the gold, and then oust Sukarno, which is what he did in 65. And that was the that was the strategy. But uh, Sukarno was a nationalist. Huh? I mean, Richard Nixon, when he was vice-president, described him as a nationalist, and Kennedy met him and said he's a nationalist. But Daly's always accused him of being a communist, because that suited his Cold War tension purpose. Huh? But, the problem for Dallas was if Sicano remained president, he wouldn't get the sort of access that he wanted, or Rockefeller interests would not be able to get access to the gold with Sukarno as president. They wanted someone a bit more compliant. And when Sukarno visited Kennedy in April 61, I think it was, to get a bit of assistance again for this sovereignty dispute, I'm rather surprised because the the briefing that dallas prepared for Kennedy said he spoke quite openly. He said, "Oh well, <clears throat> um, when we're thinking of who could replace Sukarno <laughs> it's not going to be General Nasution. You know, there's somebody else in mind." But they didn't. He didn't name him. But I, I'd say it probably was Suharto at the time, even then. But it's it's interesting that he was quite open saying the time will come when we replace place Sukarno, you know. So, and Nasution not the man for the job because he said he's not willing to to tackle Sukarno. So Dulles was uh, put on a spot when Kennedy offered, had to go. He, Kennedy had to visit Jakarta, as I said, to calm down this Malaysian confrontation. And had he done that, he would have... But didn't he send Hag Damersholt instead? Oh well, that was sixty-one. Yeah, Kennedy had to become involved in the sovereignty dispute because Dag Hammarskjöld was killed in sixty-one. In in April sixty-one, Kennedy and Hammarskjöld discussed what to do with New Guinea, and they agreed that UN should intervene. And Hammarskjöld was planning to get rid of the Dutch and the Indonesians, grant the Papuan people independence. But he didn't know about the gold. But had he had he done that, had he been able to do that, of course, his the UN uh, planning at the time would have had a tremendous boost. It would have been a great success because they would have had access to the gold after five or 10 years at least. It would have worked very well. The person who told me most about what Hammersholt was planning to do was his right-hand man who I met, I interviewed in Stroud, yes, in England. He'd retired by the time, 19, 1982, I think that was, when I met him. His name was George Ivan Smith. And uh, I didn't know where he came from. With a name like Ivan, he could have come from Moscow. But actually, when I met him, I was quite surprised because he came from Brisbane, my old hometown. And that was <laughs> that was part of the reason why he, he said, oh, Come back again, you know, talk about Brisbane, we'll do this, we'll do that. And he gave me a lot of details about Hammerschold. And what he told me was that Hammerschold, within so two or three weeks after he was killed, he, he was intending, that is, before he got killed, to go to go back to the General Assembly and announce this plan for ending the sovereignty dispute. But had that happened, of course, it would have disrupted out we call it. Dully's plans or Rockefeller plans for accessing the gold, it would have disrupted Dully's plans. When that happened, it would have disrupted plans also for regime change, which Dully's was planning in Indonesia to kick out Secretary. That had been going on since 1957, a long time before, before Kennedy came onto the scene, really. He was just a senator in Massachusetts. How much of this
0: boils down from Eisenhower's administration?
1: Well, Eisenhower was involved in the turning point in Indonesian history, really, 1958. And uh, that was when all again was Alan Dulles. He, he fomented a, a uh, civil war. They call it a, an Outer Islands Rebellion, but it was a civil war. It was an attempt to get Sumatra or some of the Outer Islands, Sumatra Sulawesi, Sumatra to break away from Java. But this is the trick because Dali's never wanted Sumatra to break away from Java. He let it. He let many people believe that was his plan, and but really, his main idea in starting a civil war was to get the Indonesian army united. He wanted a strong central command in Jakarta, and by starting a war and ending it fairly quickly um he was able to do that he was his primary purpose was to provide a military uh, command to counteract the growth of the pki he needed the army to then be the main force to oust the dutch and then the long-term plan was he needed the army as the means of ousting Sukarno and the brilliance of Dulles was that it, it worked. And I think that's probably why uh, Dulles was described by the Strong, I think it was what's his name. Strong was the head of British intelligence for 25 years. He, he described Alan Dulles as the the, the, uh, the best intelligence officer that, that's ever lived, <laughs> which is quite, quite some praise. Huh? Best or effective, that's the real
0: statement. Best or effective.
1: Well, I think he was talking about what Dulles did in World War II when he said that. This was before 1958, but Colonel Fletcher Prouty was telling me that what Dulles organised in 1958 was a huge intelligence operation that not many people in America realised how big it was. It was second biggest after Vietnam, involving the 7th Fleet and submarines and... Thousands and thousands of arms and B twenty sixes and the whole works. You know? But what amazes me is that when it was all boiled down by the end of well halfway through nineteen fifty eight, it seemed as though Dulle's plans had failed. But they didn't fail. You know, they, they meant it didn't. Sumatra did not break away from Java. He never wanted that anyway. He led them to believe that's what he wanted. But when it seemed to fail, that's when Moscow jumped in and tried to take advantage of the apparent failure. And that's when they supplied the arms to Sukarno, to Indonesia, to kick out the Dutch. You know, they thought they'd cash in on that. But Dully's quite a devious Machiavellian sort. <laughs> he, by failure, he invited, he lured in Moscow. And that created such Cold War tension. It gave Kennedy no choice but to hand over West New Guinea to Indonesia. And then Dullies just had to have proceed with regime plan, plans for regime change and ousting, replacing Sukarno with Suharto. Sukarno was unwanted because he was a nationalist, because he wouldn't let foreign companies run amok, you know. Saharto just gave gave the Rockefeller company 10 years tax-free holiday when they started mining, you know. They didn't even mention gold in the contract. It was copper. I mean, wow. (laughs) And gold has been, it's it's now described as the biggest gold mine of the world. But there's been gold there the whole time. And uh, they've got to really uh, account to Indonesia, I think, for uh, where some of that gold has gone.
0: When did uh, Kennedy reach out to Dag Hammershall to go travel? and take that fateful trip that he took that cost him his life? Um, and also, was there a pre-existing relationship between Dag Hammarskjold and Kennedy? Like, how did he get signed up or meet with Dag Hammarskjold to know that they both had the same alignment and strategies on West New Guinea?
1: He had met before he became president, and they met when he was uh, b- before he was inaugurated as president, and then they met in the Astoria Hotel in... April. That's when they had to work out a strategy. Kennedy needed to work out a strategy to avoid conflict with Moscow. He didn't want to have a head-on clash, the same as what happened in Cuba. He'd already got his, well, Dulles made sure he's got his fingers burnt there, and Dulles was the person who set up the similar situation. He's just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. Dulles, that is. Kennedy was too, but Dulles was on the devious side, and you know, on the dark side, that the uh, Hemshoel's importance it really was—he was trying to go midway in the Cold War. He didn't want either side. He—he he was getting lots of support from African countries, newly independent African countries, and he had a few problems there because some of the countries in Africa, and like New Guinea they were composed of indigenous people. You know, they weren't, they didn't have any infrastructure or or, or any uh, civil service at all, or very, very little anyway. So he developed a new idea called operational executive, OPEX. And in the case of New Guinea, he was going to end that dispute, kicking out the disputants, Indonesia and the Netherlands, and put in for about six or seven years, half a dozen top UN executives, to join in the various departments of the newly independent new guinea and provide them the knowledge the wherewithal the expertise to develop their economy and their country as a newly independent country we don't often realize how big new guinea is huh? it's it's uh uh was it twice twice the size of california well that's the island yeah well west new guinea would be the size of California. Hmm. So it's a big place, fairly big place. Hey, yes. <laughs> um, when did he do that? April. And then things went bad in for uh, in the Congo, as you know. That's what brought Hamishell's attention to going to the Congo, uh, and that was all the doing of the CIA again. Uh, three days after Lumumba, the new first president of the Congo, was elected, the CIA man three days after got influenced the army guy. Mabutu, to uh, to start causing problems for the new president, you know. He only had three days of peace, and then he was out in three months, dead. But uh, the death of Lumumba was later investigated, as I've said, I think, before. The death of Lumumba was investigated by the U- U.S. Senate Church Committee in 1985, and... 85? Uh, 75? Oh, I forget. 75. and. Uh, it should be
0: 75 because it was the church committee that did that
1: church committee i'm trying to think of yes they they, uh they said alan dullies was primarily responsible for the death of lumumba so that's what got me interested thinking well if he was he was there in if he was there in january 1961 perhaps he had a role in the death of hammershould in september 61. so i started looking into that by Conducting that interview with George Ivan Smith, and he told me, well, he spent after he retired, he spent the rest of his life trying to sort out the who killed his boss, Hammersholder, eh? and what he told me that was there, uh, there was a CIA plane. Well, he went to the Congo, then he there was trouble in the Congo, and Hammersholder went over. He tried to negotiate with a breakaway state called Katanga, Katanga, from under the care of Tshombe, I think, and uh, he wanted to talk uh, some sort of uh, some sort of deal to to stop the fighting. UN troops got involved in some of the fighting, and it was proving to be quite embarrassing for the UN and for everybody. But Britain was involved, French, Belgium, and some European mercenaries were involved. But what George Ivan Smith told me was that when Hammershaw's plane went over to the Congo and Well, it crashed after midnight. It went to Leopoldville, and then it was arranged for him to meet, to conduct talks with Sushombe, so he had to fly up to an airfield six hours away called Ndola, N-D-O-L-A, Ndola Airfield. And coming into land at Ndola, the the DC-6, the United Nations plane, the Albertina, it crashed. And to this day, it's never really been decided what caused the crash but uh i think well george ivan smith and uh conor cruz o'brien they all said it was assassination from many years back but it hasn't only last year in the un inquiry last year did they decide it was assassination but they still are not sure of the cause of the crash and and who can be uh, held responsible so looking at looking at the flight Why did it take so
0: long for it to be an assassination or be ruled as an assassination? Didn't he have a play card in his neck? Like I've seen the photo of it where he has a card in his hood of his shirt or something of that sort. I mean, you can look at the plane crash video on YouTube. They show his body in it as well, too, because I'm pretty sure the search rescue team didn't go out until like the next day or something like that to go check on the plane crash. They said it was because it was at night. It would have been hard. So they sent out a rescue team. But if you read those investigations... They point out a lot of error, but a lot of it sways more towards resistance fighters that might have he might have been shot down or some type of red resistance militia force that might have done that. But I just I don't know the play card thing. I don't think it's a that's not something that's an that's like an Americanized or more Western thing well, that you would CIA, be able to tell. CIA. Yeah,
1: Ace of Spades. Yes, I think some people got to the crash site before the officials reached the crash. I was fifteen hours ridiculous you know when the, when the un plane goes missing after midnight and everybody goes home to bed i mean what's going on what's going on uh ridiculous they said oh we they thought it went away to land at some other airfield nonsense you know but they took 15 hours to get there and in the meantime several i think some people some people anyway had reached the crash site and that's where the ace of spades went in the pocket but um uh, there was one survivor. Hammersholt himself wasn't even wearing a seatbelt when the plane crashed and got thrown away. Most of the people were burnt, some almost beyond recognition. But Hammersholt himself was not not wasn't wasn't uh, touched by the flames, but the impact he must have been thrown out of the plane and killed. Him. Do
0: you believe he died when he was thrown out, or because his hand was clutching grass?
1: Yeah, no, he, I, I think the. They said the injuries sustained would have caused his death. But um, the, the main point was that the crash of the plane just after midnight was, I've looked at it a little bit, and uh, it seems as though the plane was up to 1,700 feet or 1,500 feet lower than they thought it was, thought they were. So that indicates that the possibly the altimeters had been adjusted back before the plane left four technicians had visited the plane without any, any, uh, anybody in charge, you know. And while while these mysterious four technicians at Leopoldville had visited the plane, I think the altimeters were touched and a small amount of explosive was put on the plane as well. And so that when the plane was coming into land at Andola just after midnight, they checked in with the control tower at Andola and they got the they got the barometric readings. And Susan Williams has written a book, Who Killed Dag Hammarskjöld. She said that that conversation, radio conversation, seems to indicate that the person at the control tower at Andola gave the wrong barometric readings, which led to, which caused some consternation anyway in, in the UN plane. So they tried to ring another control tower for a three, three, few hours away and they said well if you if you try to land with those readings the plane will crash and then all radio stopped all radio communication stopped now i would say that the cia communications plane state-of-the-art communications plane on the undola airfield at midnight all engines running what was it doing you know nobody's ever Question: what on earth it was doing it was i would say responsible for the blocking of the radio communication from the un plane the albertina and then more than that i think when the plane was circling coming into land it was said to have been harassed by a small fighter plane fuga magisters it was the only way it could have arranged to be there was like some other communication, I, They could have been involved in that, but I haven't looked into the into the actual uh, flight. Or the, they said the pilot was tracked down later on, but I don't think it did any damage, real damage to the UN plane. But it was harassing the plane as it was coming in. But shortly before the crash, there was an explosion, and the person who reported that was the one survivor of the crash, the security sergeant Julian. He was the security man for for Hammersholt, he survived six days in a hospital. And he said, as the plane was coming in, there was an explosion. And but he he was in a clear, fairly clear state of mind when uh, he was interviewed in the hospital. He's giving his address and number and telephone number for his wife to contact, well, et cetera, et cetera. But for some mysterious reason, he didn't survive the burns. He should have survived the burns, but I'd say because he said there was an explosion, it, it, uh, he didn't survive, put it that way. It, what was the explosion? What could the explosion have been? Um, well, it could have been caused, one possible reason, by a handful of explosive material put, around the, put on the plane again at Leopoldville by one of the technicians that afternoon with a small detonator so that when the plane was coming in, like um, only eight miles away from landing spot, when the wheels were down, a radio signal from the CIA communications plane could have been sent straight to the receiver, which would come down when the wheels were lowered, the receiver was there to take a signal, which then sparked the detonator and blew a small amount of C4 now that was used not to destroy anything on the plane but not to make a plane damage to crash that is but to destroy the control box for the wing flaps it would have only needed a handful with a detonator and a radio signal so it's quite feasible according to the people i've talked to as a means of bringing down the plane because 15 seconds later it was already lower than it should have been it crashed into the treetops and Pretty well, yeah, the people were killed, the occupants were killed. So the key would have been the radio signal sent from the CIA plane to the incoming DC-6, eight, nine miles away, which they could have been monitoring very closely. As soon as the wheels came down, I'd say a receiver would have put the receiver on the outside of the plane, not the inside. And that would have allowed the radio signal then to be used as a to get the detonator to to spark the C4. And that's how I think the Albertina was brought down. But uh, checking on that is possible, but the Albertina seems to have been uh, uh, buried and parts of it taken away and some of it melted. And I would I would say that perhaps it's been there so long now, was it 50 years, 60, 60 years, 62 years, huh? Eh? so i think there is a way that you can check to see where c4 has been used where the uh, electron was it? photo spectrometer can detect the presence of c4 so if they use that on the remains if the any fuselage fuselage is still available i think it was buried under a few meters meters of soil in in the congo somewhere but uh, whether or not that part of the plane is still remaining, I don't know. It has to be checked. But if it is, a spectrometer would detect the presence of C4 in the in the adjoining metal. One electron in a million, apparently, it can detect. So it would it would uh, possibly provide a solution to the uh, to the Dag Hammarskjold mystery, which has gone on for far too
0: long. Huh? Did the UN ever think it was suspicious that some of those flight logs or books
1: that were in the tower went missing? Yeah, yeah, the whole dirty story. It's been repeated many incidents like that right through, and I'm I'm very uh, concerned about the role played by the, the top British person who was present. For what called call Lord Lansdowne? He was sent over by uh, he was sent over by Macmillan. Straight away, and uh, he was involved with Hammersholt, and uh, I think he had previous experience. He was in, he was in the OSS in the war. He was in the French Free French, and that was under the guidance, could we say, of of Alan Dulles during the war. So there may have been some sort of link between Lansdowne and Dulles. I know Lansdowne was second in charge of the uh, British consulate, British embassy in Paris in 1945, after liberation. And it's interesting that the person in a similar position, his counterpart in the American embassy at the same time was David Rockefeller. So there could be a link there, which I think if some researchers wanted to get onto that, they could possibly uh, in that mystery
0: as well. Well, could I ask how much do you think Truman knew? Obviously, if you want to repeat, you probably know Truman's quote better than anybody, but it is an eerie thing. I mean, if you want to repeat it for people out there listening, it's something I said at the beginning about they killed him, but how much do you think he knew about it as well too and obviously he was alluding to something and the press never even bothered to follow up on it but a lot of people give truman crap because he's made some remarks at kennedy in the beginning but later they developed a relationship it seems like and truman became a supporter of what kennedy was up to and doing but truman in my opinion Probably a better president than I think the history books taught me when I was a kid, because I was looking deeper at the remarks he made about the CIA, where Alan Dulles had to put fake in the document documents to make sure that it looked like, you know, it was just Truman uh, on a bad day or something like that to counter Truman's criticism. But Truman made statements about Dag Hammarskjöld. Um, sorry, I ranted a little bit. Oh, not at all. The. uh
1: Truman was, I think you said, critical, a little bit critical of Kennedy to start with, mainly because he was youth, I think. He thought he wouldn't have experience in foreign policy, but actually foreign policy was one of Kennedy's strengths. Eh? Oh, You still there? Yeah. I've just lost the pick, that's all. There. There. Sorry. there anyway, come back. <laughs> um, but I think uh, then... Truman uh, and his wife started staying in the White House didn't they and they got to know Kennedy and Jackie very well and that's where they would have been discussing the the death of hammersholt so that Truman I suppose you could say blurted out that to the press but then realized he'd better shut up because he could end up the same way yeah yeah um it's it's a, yeah he should have said more if he if he had he known more but uh Perhaps at the time he didn't have the evidence, but he had the suspicion, no? and that's what he really implied by saying what he did. You know, they killed him. So, why and how? Yes, I think uh, if you look at the uh, the actual crash in detail and find out how it could have been done, I think the explanation I gave might be uh, feasible. I've discussed that with a few people who uh are experts in their field and they seem to think yes basically yes c4 was invented four years earlier uh as well so it would have been dullies would have been well aware of it it's just the fact that dullies was involved in the killing of lumumba and i think in january and it led me to believe that he could have been involved, and his name was mentioned in the involvement by in the in the letters unearthed by Bishop Tutu. Eh? These seven documents, seven letters, uh, in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, you know, at the end of last century, you know, nineteen eighty, was it ninety eight or something? The uh, Dulli's name was mentioned, saying that we've got to get rid of Hamarshol. Basically, you know, He's, but his Dulli's motives were not the same as the friends he was dealing with there. They they were concerned about the Congo and whatever, but Dali's, of course, was 30 years ahead of them. He's thinking about something on the other side of the world and he, he can blame what was happening in the Congo on the death of Hamishol when actually it suited his purpose because Hamishol was about to intervene in Indonesia at the time. But that's never been publicised, huh? yeah so i wish uh, i think indonesia should be more known and people should re- recognize at least what kennedy was focusing on in indonesia and they would realize it's far more viable explanation for yes there were many possible reasons i suppose you could say for people uh, wanting to do away with kennedy but um, when you look at indonesia i think uh it's many many times more important than any most of the other or all the others ones put together all the other reasons or motives put together you know and as i was i mentioned before but uh, the gold was one regime change was the other but kennedy's visit to indonesia and proposed visit in 64 would have also seriously disrupted plans for regime change which was designed to split Moscow and Beijing further. It wasn't going to split it entirely, but basically it it made the, the split that was already there far, far worse. Yeah? And really it led to 1972, the, the famous visit, you know, Nixon and Kissinger going to, to visit Chairman Mao. That can really be attributed back to uh, what happened in Indonesia in 65, 66, because As soon as that happened, Moscow and Beijing started fighting, basically, physical fighting, big tank battles up on the Asuri River. I I didn't know anything about that until I interviewed Adam Malik, uh, former vice president of Indonesia. And he had just retired when I interviewed him. And he sat me down and started talking about the Sino-Soviet conflicts. I I must say, he, he opened my eyes, you know. I, I didn't know much about it, but he was the person who brought the attention, my attention, to the sino-Soviet conflict role in Indonesia. i I, well, I wouldn't have linked the two before at all but uh, he did, and uh, I think the reason that he did was uh, mainly because he was opening up his heart or his conscience or whatever because he was about to die of cancer at the time.
0: how can I ask um when it came to obviously your research, but when it came to JFK and Dag Hammersholt's death and kind of like what happens when you go against the establishment, which I think we're all in the same viewpoint of this kind of what happens when you go against financial interests of- deep connected political figures like Alan Dulles. I mean, did you do you have a better understanding of how things work, or do you think this is just plain and simple? Like, How come the UN has bothered to shoot the smoking gun on Alan Dulles, even though their careers and Hoover's reputation, all these people's have diminished over the years to a point where it is probably more than likely that th- they were involved and they were behind these actions. But even then, it will get lumped into the conspiracy realm, which to me is surprising because we don't think about it like that. That when it comes to other foreign countries and talking well, it, about those it, issues
1: it shouldn't be lumped into the conspiracy because hoover for example j edgar hoover was the person who gave the go-ahead for the for the altimeters on the plane for, for dag Hammarskjöld. he said they were working just fine you know just fine and of course who's going to believe j edgar hoover now we may have believed him 40 years ago but not today you know and uh, i think that's another aspect that Needs to be yeah, looked at, J. Edgar Hoover's credibility. Um, uh, who else would you lump into that? Yeah. J. Uh, Alan Dulles. I was talking to someone the other day about the amazing coincidence of Alan Dulles visiting Dallas in uh, six weeks before the assassination. I mean, that's remarkable, you know? And he said, yes, it was a coincidence, you know, fancy. I went there 6 weeks and as though no one could possibly make a link between him and the assassination that's that's he was the icon of US intelligence in the 60s that's why no one thought it possible but nowadays a visit 6 weeks before the assassination must he must think again what was he doing did he go along Elm Street and and visit to uh, look look back at the <laughs> the building and say yeah about the 6th floor that would be good yeah <laughs> whatever <laughs> But I'm sure he, I mean, the reason he went there was at the invitation of George de Morenshield. And George de Morenschild, as you know, was the person who looked after Lee Harvey Oswald for you know the last six, eight, nine months or something in, in Dallas. Six months was. And six weeks was also the period that Lee Harvey Oswald got when to he was working in the book depository at the time. Um so maybe the building was chosen at the time when when Alan Dulles visited. <laughs> Who knows? Um yeah, George DeMoranshield we haven't mentioned, but uh yeah, the fact that he he was a member of the group that invited Alan Dulles down to give the talk in Dallas, even though George was out of the out of the, out of town at the time, so they didn't weren't linked together. <laughs> But uh, it was the same group that George de was in that invited Alan Dulles down to give the talk, which gave him the excuse for being in Dallas, you know, weeks before the assassination to possibly to suss it out, mm, have a reconnoiter.
0: What, what do you think the importance, like obviously for people out there who might not know much about Hammersholt or might not be interested in Kennedy? I mean, it's been 60 years for Kennedy, 62 years for Dag Hammersholt. I mean, what's the significance of still talking about these events in your mind?
1: Well, it was, the world has changed so much since the 60s. We've just it's taken a different turn. You know? It's It's been, we've been led down different historical path as a result of the, the death of JFK. A different era altogether. And uh, I think finding out who did what at that time uh, might indicate uh, who advantaged, who was advantaged by their deaths, uh, might lead to a little bit better understanding of what's happening today, who's, who's pulling the levers today because it's been a direct result of the the demise of the president and the UN secretary general at the time. Hammershall really was uh, what some people refer to as one of the the, the white knights from Scandinavia. He came from a very respectable family and a very learned tradition, but uh, the fact that he didn't want to participate in the Cold War is... uh, would have would have shaken up. If you remember what the Dulles used to say, if you're not with us, you're against us. So, well, he w- he wasn't with them.
0: Mr. Polgreen, i i was gonna I was gonna ask you about um when we talk about uh Dag Hammerschald. Obviously, you mentioned something about it's not a conspiracy. If we kind of look back a little bit as well, too. I mean, the understanding of in, these importance and events, uh, these historical stuff. There's a lot behind it, but it's like how you've been mentioning kind of throughout the episode is a lot of people don't focus on Indonesia. They barely know anything about Indonesia, a lot of the conflicts on there. So I was wondering, how much has your Cold War knowledge enhanced your perspective on doing your research, looking into Dag Hammarskjold's death and looking into a lot of the problems that are going on in foreign countries? Because throughout the Cold War, you see massive involvement of the U.S. intelligence agencies in foreign lands. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I think when Lumumba contacted Moscow, I think it uh, it tended to uh, heat up heat up the Cold War tension in the Congo. That's for sure. But then again, um, he may have had his reasons because the, he was only, as I said, three days in power when the CIA man Devlin was it in in the Congo started to stir things up with the. Uh, with Mobutu, so it's rather a re- re- revelation at <laughs> the time. So Cold War tension, I think, um, just looking at how it was built up in the late 50s uh, and how it caused Kennedy to become involved in the sovereignty dispute, the, the two issues that I could point to is, is sort of enhancing Cold War tension well, the two CIA pilots who came down, uh, Powers and... Uh, remember when Powers came down in the Soviet Union? Gary yeah, Powers? Gary you, Powers in the, the U-2 plane. U-2 flying, yeah. And uh, there was another CIA pilot came down in Indonesia as well. And, and uh, both of them really added to a lot of Cold War tension. When Gary Powers came down, it was said that he was shot down but uh and some of the newspapers said he was shot down then eisenhower said he was shot down and khrushchev claimed originally he was shot down but he wasn't when you look at what the person in charge of the u2 flight colonel fletcher prouty was saying he said that the U- how he was explaining how these u2s were fueled and he said he was actually pointing the finger at alan Dulles again saying that because that Gary Powers U-2 plane was brought down from 90, 70,000 feet down to 30,000 feet, he said the in the fuel they put hydrogen to, to burn at high altitudes. He said because of the hydrogen was half emptied, it ran out and the plane had to come down to an ordinary level of 30,000 feet where it suddenly got surrounded by MiGs and it, it actually landed, it wasn't shot down which is a big surprise because even the New York Times said it was shot down. But um, the end result of bringing that plane down was that the uh, Paris Peace Conference was uh, shuttled, was uh, disbanded. And uh, this greatly, again, this greatly increased Cold War tension at the time. Eisenhower and Khrushchev were planning quite a big (laughs) uh, Detente, <laughs> but this this just got thrown out the window because of what happened with Gary Powers came down, and Alan Dulles was involved in in that incident, according to Colonel Fletcher Prouty, I think he, which is quite an interesting accusation when you look at it, because Dulles needed Cold War tension for a resolution of the Indonesian crisis. In his favour, you know, Kennedy did what he did because of Cold War tension in 1960, 62. The Cold War tension when Kennedy arrived was brought on by the Moscow weapons, arming Indonesia. And it was really to avoid conflict that Kennedy intervened and and uh, decided giving West New Guinea to to indonesia to sakanoa but we have to say cold war tension really was the key and gary powers was adding to this slowly building cold war tension in the late 60s uh berlin and and other issues were were hot enough cuba topped it up i topped it off i suppose in 61 62 63 but uh in relation to indonesia the cold war there was uh Mainly because of Soviet assistance for Indonesia and the possible conflict between Netherlands and the NATO ally, you know, US. So, it, it, Kennedy really didn't have a choice in what he what he did. He had to, unless he wanted to get into a, a war, possibly a nuclear war, because the the planes that Moscow gave Sukarno were capable of carrying nuclear warheads. They like they liked to say that at the time. So you know, it was really pressure pressure that that won the game. It was uh, <clears throat> Sukarno's. Sukarno really wasn't. Uh, he was p- pushing buttons, uh, nationalist buttons, at the time to to gain politically, and uh, at the same time he gained a tremendous amount of territory, which really is Papuan territory. That's an ongoing problem today for Indonesia because they. Conflicts in West Papua today are just going a bit like the same as uh, what's happened in Israel in a way. In fact, before the present conflict in Israel with Hamas last year, in fact, the Indonesian one of the Indonesian human rights groups said more Papuans have been killed in by Indonesian troops in West Papua uh, than Palestinians killed in in Israel. That's how serious the West Papuan conflict was. I wouldn't say the same now, because it's just a, a tra- complete tragedy what's happening over there now. But in the terms of West Papua, the the death toll has been going on there since since the nineteen sixties, and no one hears about it. No one hears about Indonesia, but let alone West Papua. Yeah. But it's it's an ongoing conflict.
0: Um, Mr. Polgreen, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. Is there a place where people can find any of your links? Obviously I'll link your book links in the description of this episode, but if you had any last words for anybody out there or, um, any links that you'd like to promote.
1: Well, just if they could yeah, somehow access the, uh, the two books that I've produced, I suppose the late, latest one would probably sum it up just the JFK book again, because it is the 60th. So yeah, JFK versus Alan Dulles, you know, battleground Indonesia, seems to seems to sum up um, really what's happened, and uh, it, it does include Dag Hammarskjold as well in that book. But I think the the current inquiry, current UN inquiry into Dag Hammarskjold, will throw more light on that. And as I've been saying, if we can link, well, I'm I'm linking Dag Hamm the person who killed Dag Hammarskjold. I'm saying and the person who killed Kennedy are the same, you know, and I'm tracing them back to Alan dulles but I, but, uh, and the reason he did that really wasn't, it's not for his own material benefit. He didn't, didn't work like that. He was in power structure. He's working in cahoots with the Rockefeller oil empire from way back in the 1920s, uh, 20s and 30s, long before World War II. So it's, when we say Dallies did it, people say, well, what a Dullies, why was he doing it? Well, he wasn't doing it by himself. He's like the, the front man, but but the very, very skilled in intelligence activities. And uh I'd have to agree with the the British strong <laughs> the colonel, I think he was, who said, you know, he's the most, he's the best intelligence man in the history of intelligence. That's yeah, I'm not sure whether that's a condemnation or or praise. But uh Yes, and I, I would attribute yeah, Kennedy's 60th 60th anniversary, I'd have to say one has to start thinking about this, yes, Alan Dulles as well. And I'm sure it will come out in, when when is it 19, 2000, 2029, is it? More documents are supposed to be revealed, but probably they'll just that close, too. close them.
0: Yeah, well, I won't hold my breath. Mr. Paul Green, I'm going to link your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode about the Blank Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.